the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halavi, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Hey there, welcome to the show, the Total Financial Hour. I'm Arab Halaby. Thanks for being with me. Talking about your family's finances. Look, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. I want to give you a couple of phone numbers here as you uh, get ready to. Hopefully start your day, 888-99-RETIRE, that's 888-997-3847. I'm talking about passing on money to the next generation. A lot of things have changed recently, in fact, very recently, as your goal is to pass money on to the next generation. I'm going to break it down into a few different categories. We're going to start with the first category of passing on money to the next generation, but why is that at risk? Why are there changes? Why are there problems with this passing on of wealth, if you will, to the next generation. This whole COVID-19, the shutdown of the country, uh, very unevenly, if I might say so, between the New York and the Californians versus uh, the Midwest and Florida and Texas, uh, the small business is where a majority of the wealth of the baby boomers and the middle class exist. So when you have a small business and your goal is to pass that on to the next generation, whether it be through a sale Right, A lot of small businesses, the kids aren't interested in taking over the business, but there's a wealth, uh, there's money there, there's a value. So the kids might sell the assets, they, may, they might sell the business. They might create some sort of a transition while you're still alive to pass on to the kids just the money or the, the income. But why is that important? Because the wealth that has existed for generations in the small business, in the person who is the small business owner, that is often where you pile the money, right? You're not, uh, you're not out buying or investing in massive retirement plans when you are a small business owner, you're buying equipment. You're putting it right back into the business. You're doing marketing and advertising. You're hiring more employees. And right at a time when your life, if you will, gets swept out from under you. Definition of a baby boomer, 1946 to 1964. Depends on who you ask. Anywhere between 70 million and 75 million people fit into that. So when you have tens of millions... 70 million people, and a huge percentage of them are small business owners. That's where that freedom, that's where that desire to become independent, and now all of a sudden it manifests itself in a place that you feel like, eh, kind of like passing away and the stock market drops just before, and you were to leave that wealth to your kids, and you say, well, sorry, I know that uh, you needed, wanted the money, and we are stuck giving you 40 or 50% discount, 30% loss. So we like fixed and fixed indexed annuities. You've heard me talk about it. Not for everything, not for all of your assets, 
No more should any financial professional put all of your money in a place where you can lose it. They shouldn't put it all in a place where there's security and guarantees. Because with that comes a lower potential rate of return, right? You're going to earn between 0 and 10, maybe 0 and 12%, depending on the the account and and, uh, the choices inside of it. But figure between 0 and 10% a year. Well, that's nice. But the average is between 3 and 8. If you say that I'm going to put my entire life savings in a place. Now, listen, if you've achieved the financial well-being, if you've gotten to the place where you are financially secure, you don't need the money to grow at, at you know, rapid rates, massive rates of return. You want to have, keep up with inflation. We want to continue that, that journey. All right, fine. So you put money that you need to be secure, that you don't want to lose. Well, contrast that to a lot of the small business. You don't have time for that type of investing because you're pouring it right back into your business, buying that equipment and, and hiring those employees, the marketing. When you do that, and now it's time to pass it on to the next generation, we think trillions with the T, by the way, trillions of dollars have evaporated over the last 12 to 18 months. And I think that's going to continue because I believe that when a lot of the favor, the desired, you know, we're, we feel bad for each other. Some landlords are giving a little, uh, little grace, as soon as the, all the economies are back open, right, we think most of this was political driven, politically driven. Most people will tell you that privately, but they're afraid to be canceled. They're afraid to be in a position to where they lose their job because six people in Twitter from their mom's basement, you know, write a complaint, hashtag, I'm going to cancel you, pass me another slice of pizza. Those people dictate and control and rule your life. Look at small businesses can be crushed. The couple in the north, Northwest. Two ladies opened up an amazing, apparently I've never been, but amazing Mexican restaurant. And they, I guess people flocked from all over. So they went and they were trying to to find new recipes. It was a a brilliant opportunity to grow their business. They were creative. They were involved. But they weren't Mexican. And it was a Mexican food restaurant. So a few people got on social media. And said that they were, what was it, hijacking or appropriating someone else's culture. And these ladies, by all intents and purposes, through their own admission, were staunch progressives, were liberals. Not in the, in the, the good sense of the word where they believed in free speech. They wanted to cancel other people. And then all of a sudden, the crowd turned on them. And surprise, they had to shut down their business for cultural appropriation. Can you imagine if you're that person? You spend your whole life learning and being about a certain type of culture and food. And because, uh, uh, you know, the crowd, the masses decide that you're not allowed to make that food. They call it, you don't, you don't talk about people that can't have blonde hair when they dye their hair blonde or they weave in blonde hair and, and call that cultural appropriation because it's the wrong culture. You're okay with it, but mm, maybe not. I don't want to get too personal, but you can't have certain, People Look, it, it, the left is the same group of people who decide that they're going to be Native American or that lady out of uh, uh, Rachel, you guys will know the name, who, who said she was black and really she was a blonde, blue-eyed Caucasian and she would tan herself and, and uh, curl her hair and do just – and she was head of the ACLU under a particular uh, part of the country where they didn't really question her. She was all for – and then suddenly – she has to come out. First, she says, no, no. And then her own mother says, yeah, you know, she, listen, we're, we're Caucasian. I'm not sure what, what she's up to, but that's her passion. So we're good with it. And then she had to come, come out and claim mental illness. Look, I, I'm all for people trying to figure out, look, do whatever you want. 
If you don't like their Mexican restaurant, don't eat at their Mexican restaurant. You don't have to close them down and say, sorry, your families don't get to pay their mortgage. But of course, that's what the crowd does. And so that is an example of small businesses prior to the pandemic that have lost wealth. And now there are restaurants. Look, if you want to start a restaurant, what's the sunny side? What's the other side of the coin? If you want to start a restaurant, now is the time. It's very simple. All you do is go out. You can buy equipment for pennies on the dollar. You can take over leases for pennies on the dollar. You could probably hire people once this unemployment stuff goes away, right? Because what do they do? They're paying people. Uh, Look, uh, I won't tell you the industry because it's right here in our great state up north. And they make a product that's probably superior to most products on the the market. And he said in January, they started with 22 employees. When the new stimulus thing came out through the Biden administration, eight of them are left. Because they did the math and they said, listen, we can make more money being on unemployment. Because you're giving me this extra and then an extra and then I have a couple of children. And before you know it, I'm getting all of this extra money. So why should I go to work when I can hang out and sleep in and vacation? So a lot of people, unfortunately are trying their hardest, doing their best when it comes to the conversation about creating and starting a small business. It feels like you're swimming upstream. I understand. Enough of you are trying to transfer that wealth to the next generation. It's what you've you've set your sights on. It's what you've decided was going to be the legacy for your family. And now what? So I understand. So how do we protect that? We have an incredible solution, I think. It's not that difficult. It's, It's not super secret. It's just a solution that kind of works to transfer wealth. And I think from a guilt-free standpoint, I want you to consider using life insurance as an option. You don't have to keep it forever. Once your wealth has accumulated to a particular place, you can stop the life insurance, especially if it's a term plan. So to transfer wealth from one generation, we've worked on small businesses. It's the thing that a lot of us have tried Some successfully, some failed numerous times before you became successful. You get to the place, and now something like COVID or the accusation of cultural appropriation or some other new word they're going to create that you don't even know the answer to. And before you know it, what do you do? Well, do you still want to transfer that wealth to the next generation? And I I always say it's guilt-free. It allows you to spend your money while you're still alive, your retirement assets, and we'll get to those and how those transfer in a minute. But it allows you to spend and live the life that you want to live without being concerned that you're not going to leave anything for the next generation. Simple enough. I don't think you have to be somebody that walks through life. uh, And look, as the son of an immigrant, right, I'm first generation on one side of my family. When my dad came here, their mindset, their whole being was to make life better for the next generation. What you did was for your children. And that is very important. It's the same whether my dad is from the Middle East or from there are families from India or the Philippines. You, you're, you're constantly doing this, or, or Latin America for that matter, for the next generation. So life insurance has been, I don't know, been around for probably 150 years or so. But the job of it is to pass on and look, ready? It is tax-free. It circumvents probate. It goes directly to the beneficiaries. And it's a tax-free transfer, bump up, if you will, in wealth to your children. Now, that might be different. What if your children don't want to run your business? What if they don't want to take over the business? That means they don't have the wealth or they have to sell it at a fire sale. So you see where I'm going with this? The life insurance can be used as a piece or a part or a way to transfer money to that next generation. All right? So consider that as an option. It's tax-free. What are the different types? Briefly, 
There's term insurance, which is for a set period of time. And then there is permanent insurance, which is, of course, permanent for the rest of your life. The term insurance is much less in cost because they're going to insure you to a, a time frame in your life, age-wise, when you are less than your uh, life expectancy. So if you take a chart, I guess they're available everywhere now. We've had it in our industry, I don't know, for decades, where there's, an, there's a chart. It says a male, this age, you have 18.5 years left of life. Now, I don't, I don't know how accurate it is. It, it adds in there people that are sedentary, people that are working in, in coal mines, and people that are eating vegetables all day long, right? It, so it puts everybody into the bucket. So you might be favored to go a little longer, but the industry doesn't care about that. So if your life expectancy is 18.5 years of life, for example, then you can easily get a 10-year life insurance plan. In other words, the term is 10 years. If you want a 20-year life insurance plan, but your life expectancy is 18.5 years, probably not possible. And if it is, it's very expensive. Because now, just like in Vegas, insurance companies are playing the odds. They said, what's the odds that you are not going to be that person who's going to pass away you know, when, when we don't want you to, which is when you were insured, because insurance companies never want to pay a claim. I know, sit down, this is surprising to you, but insurance companies prefer not to pay a claim. But they will. That's why legally they're required. There's all sorts of rules and, and, and plans and structure that they have to follow. It's pretty darn tight. But what about somebody like yourself? You say, well, I'm not super healthy, or I have some medication. They're going to say, well, what, well let's talk about your health. If you're healthy, if you're in a position to where you say, listen, I take medication and we look at your age and they look at your life and they say, that's, that's reasonable. It's reasonable to be on high blood pressure if you're in your 60s, for example. It's not reasonable to be on high blood pressure if you're in your 30s, high blood pressure medication, right? Because part of the problem is they're saying, wow, that's not normal because they have a, what's called a normal quote scale. So the point is you can apply. And when you do, they look to see, can they save you money or not? It's a way to transfer money to the next generation. Now, what happens after the 10 years, of, in, under my example, the 10-year term is over? Well, you still are insured, usually till age 95, regardless of when you got it. The problem is the cost goes up. So you got to look at this and say, how am I creating or what? where am I sitting when the plan kind of lays out and says, if I'm working on this... And I can parse out the responsibility I have to my next generation or the goal, right? Maybe you didn't save all your life because the goal was just to pay for food, shelter, clothing, was to pay for today, was to do things today for your family. Well, consider life insurance. What does a permanent plan do? It's higher in cost, but it covers you for almost forever. I mean, I guess age 95, 105, you can do it 120 years old, the higher cost Cost doesn't change, stays the same all these years, but there are ways. You can put in one lump sum. I'll give you a good example. You can put in $100,000, put in a lump sum, a one-time payment, and maybe it, eh, maybe it buys $200,000, $250,000 worth of life insurance that passes tax-free to your kids forever. And you may never have to pay for another payment. Pretty incredible. So that's a permanent plan. I like it. 888-99-RETIRE. 
I like the permanent plans, you can give us a call at 888-997-3847. It'll give you the opportunity. Can we help you? Maybe, maybe not. There's, there's uh, some, some choices that you can make. All right. Transfer of wealth we've talked about really begins with a couple of things. And one of those, <laughs> believe it or not, is a will or a trust. Now, I want to get through the definitions of the two. A will is something very interesting. When you are passing money on to your children or to your family or to friends, a will is something that is a suggestion. Now, it's more than a suggestion, but a judge can say, well, that was his desire. That was his will. But let's be clear on this. He could have changed his mind. So let me give you an example. If you and I are golfing, we're out on the golf course. We have a, I have a brand new set of golf clubs. Amazing. And you're like, oh, Eric, my whole life I wanted those golf clubs. I go, these are amazing golf clubs. You will love them. You're the same size as I. They fit you perfect. Amazing. And you say, gosh, Eric, if I ever could. I said, I'll tell you what. If I pass away, if I die, you can have them. And the other two people in our foursome look at each other and they smile and they laugh. They go, oh, that's a great. Uh, well, thanks, Eric. That's great. And then, God forbid, driving home, a car accident, and I pass away. Now, in my will, I said the, the golf clubs go to my kids or all of my extra property. I may not even outline them specifically. I just say everything I have goes to my children. Well, that's not going to happen. It's not going to show up in court. Because you sit there and you go before the judge and you say, Your Honor, you know, I know that he didn't have a chance to put it in his will, but here are two witnesses. And at first it might have sounded like he was joking, but he said it twice. And he said it on the fourth hole and on the seventh hole. And he made it very clear that I could have these clubs if he were to pass away. I know it's not written in the will, but I beg you to reconsider. In many cases, I don't know about most, many, maybe most, surprise, you now have golf clubs. Now, Wrap that will inside of a living trust, a revocable living trust, and that's different. Now it's a contract. So a revocable living trust, I want to encourage you to seek the advice of an attorney, not an attorney that does bankruptcy, car accidents, and while you're at it, want to sue your ex-husband, I've got, oh, oh, and we'll do your living trust. No, thank you. I want you to work with an attorney that only does probate, estate, uh, planning, does living trusts. And look, you'll probably pay less money because those other attorneys, what they do is they go and out, go and subcontract or sub hire the other law practices that specialize in it because there's a lot of uh, legal liability. There's a lot of problems. If they don't do it correctly, well, there's problems down the road. So, they're not good at, it goes back to my saying, remember, you, you, don't, you can't be great at everything. Anybody who tells you that they're great at everything, any single attorney, single financial professional, single contractor, I don't care who it is, you, you tell me, any person who says they are great at everything means they are not. Because it's impossible. Now, There are weird people in our lives that can be great at many things in their industry, like Leonardo da Vinci. I think he was a great engineer. I think he was a great sculptor. I think he was a great painter. 
But you could probably count on one hand without extensive research people that would fit that way in their industry. And most likely, the attorney down on Main Street is not that person. All right, the good people. If you need a car accident, you go to the person who specializes in car accidents. As a financial professional, if you want to put your money in safety, if you want to protect what you've grown, you want to lock in your gains, you want to, that's fine. Then you come to me. But if you say, Eric, if I want to buy the latest uh, Bitcoin and, and uh, cryptocurrency, and I want, not my favorite, not my thing. I just, maybe that's a great investment. I don't know. But you don't come to me for that. Eric, if I want to take this risk, wonderful, not me. Eric, what about the, did you want safety? You want protection for your family and you? That's insurance. I'm, I'm your guy. You want retirement accounts where the growth is, is protected? Do you want guarantees behind the scenes? I'm, I'm that person. Okay, so the, the concept of kind of laying out where your expertise lies as a professional, whatever the profession is, is pretty important. What should you pay for an attorney to handle a revocable living trust? Uh, it's probably going to be somewhere between $1,500 and $2,100, $2,200 if it's rather simple. If you own rental properties in other jurisdictions where there's deeds of trust that have to be filed and different counties and, and states, then you're, you're probably looking at, for each one of those pieces of real estate or entities, it's probably $100, maybe $200 per. But I have seen some attorneys that don't specialize in this charging close to $3,000 and the reason when the client comes to me and says that they paid that or they were quoted that is because the person is going to farm it out to a specialist. Well, you could go straight to that specialist. Eric, what about the online versions? Look, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm not an attorney. I'm a certified estate planner. I can take a look at these. I can tell you what I think works or doesn't work. But if you think that you are simple enough that the beneficiaries are not going to contest things, when I say simple, I mean financially simple, right? In other words, house, two kids, a savings account, car. Okay, fine. If it's really simple of an estate and you can do wonderful, go do that. If you're going to get into this mess where, uh, you know, his, his kids, her kids, my kids, previous marriages, widows, uh, out-of-state rental properties, assets before, I, I would say you're starting to get very complicated. And if it were me, I would throw in. Something like mm, attorney, law practice. I just don't want you to take a chance on your own. I just don't think so. All right. That's a revocable living trust. Inside of that revocable living trust are going to be things like an um, advanced directive. When we come back after the break, I'm going to get into what is an advanced directive? What is uh, something called a power of attorney? What do they do? What can they do? How to protect yourself? Because we have seen many people down the road make these mistakes. And there are different laws in different areas of the country. So depending on where you live, where you're going to retire, if you do your original living trust in one state and you move to another state, you may have to check with an attorney and say, hey, where is it better to, to settle my estate? And they might say something like this. Where is the trustee going to live? Are they back in the original state? Then that makes it easier to keep your trust back in the original state. But if they are with you in the new state or the new section or part of the state up north or south, east, whatever, then maybe it makes sense to have a new living trust done 
and put into that new jurisdiction because the the trustee has to travel back and forth the executor who executes your will their job is to make sure that things are done properly and they have to do a lot of relocating back and forth back and forth so that's difficult it's difficult because in your particular mind you have to kind of create well you know the what if i'm not here scenario who am i going to trust what are the the assets that i care about the most Okay, we'll come back in a minute. We're going to get to the advanced directive, what I think matters, power of attorney, give you some ideas on how to do it. And then I've got some, uh, maybe some words of caution, some things that I think you need to consider as the new political changes that are sweeping California, the West, are coming to a state near you. Now, you you may say, well, that doesn't matter. Uh, Hello, have you not seen the White House? Have you not seen the people that have been pulled into executive positions in the White House? I'll give you a minute to research that during the break. We'll come back in just a minute. I'm Arif Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour. This is 888-99-RETIRE. That's the best way to get a hold of us. 888-997-3847. We'll come back in just a minute on the Total Financial Hour. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arif makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial power. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategies. Learn from Arab Halabi. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. Thanks for joining us on the Total Financial Hour. Uh, we're looking at uh, baby boomers seeing really an evaporation of wealth because they are the ones holding a majority of the small businesses. I think it's probably half, maybe a little bit more. Depending on who you talk to, that transfer of wealth that we spoke of in the first part of the hour, $68 trillion. I remember when I started twenty over 25 years ago in the financial industry, they were telling us there's going to be a $1 trillion transfer of wealth. And the number was so big, you might as well have said a cabillion. I mean, I don't know. It didn't matter to us. We were a bunch of, you know, 20 somethings in the industry sitting down, kind of learning. They said there's $1 trillion transfer of wealth. You have to be prepared to handle it, to practice, to protect and on and on. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, 25 years later, it's become 68 trillion dollars in wealth and if you are 60 years old and a lot of 60 year olds don't plan on stopping to work you know working at 62 65 whatever the government says is retirement you can retire anytime you want retire just means you're not working for money when that takes place maybe the wealth transfer will not be 68 trillion maybe it will be a hundred trillion who knows of course there's going to be inflation and Economic growth. If we had the Trump administration, the growth rate that we were experiencing, President Obama used to joke and make fun of. In fact, his goal was to demean on Saturday Night Live, if you remember, when he dropped the mic and said, well, President Trump, at least, uh, you know, Donald Trump, at least I'll be president. Remember, he dropped the mic, that mean look into the camera. We should have played that every day for four years. Right. As Donald Trump grew the economy. Now, I don't know. Maybe that's going to change. Maybe we're not going to see that kind of growth. 
But I think folks in their 70s are still planning on working. 65, 70, 75. Meaning if you're 60 years old today with a small business, the chances in the next 25 years of your desire to pass on business, God willing, you're still in business, then we need to plan not in a small way, but in a big way. Because the left, their goal is to take your money. That's why they create such random taxes all across the board. Some of the weirdest taxes that you're going to see in every single state across the country uh, include things like California. Remember, I said the reason that matters is simple. Because everybody from Silicon Valley through San Francisco, Gavin Newsom, right, the, the mayor of California, his aunt is Nancy Pelosi. Kamala Harris, guess where she comes from? Uh, yes, California. When you take a look at um, Joe Biden's top advisors, they came from Silicon Valley. Uh, surprise, California. So I think you're going to see the scam and fraud uh, tax business stuff that they've done in California that isn't working, frankly. That's why there's an exodus. I think you're going to see that come to a state near you and, and a city near you. You cannot give an inch in your city. You cannot give an inch because they're going to start with things that seem reasonable. Uh, I mean, it's reasonable. It's reasonable to not to have recycling. And, and recently they said, oh, we don't recycle this. You have to break your cardboard box into, you know, one foot by one foot uh, squares. You have to put them in only in the container. I'm like, but but I have more because I just moved. I've got a bunch of stuff. Uh, what do I do with these boxes? Uh, sorry, uh, we're not going to take them. We we're come every two weeks. Uh, so I, I said, well, then, so it's not about recycling. You don't care about keeping the stuff out of the landfill because what am I supposed to do? Have a cardboard storage facility in the backyard? I said, you know what people are going to do? They're just going to throw it away. Well, that's what they're going to do. That's, of course, common. Well, okay, now do you understand that it's not about recycling? It's not about keeping stuff out of the landfill. It's about, here's our rules. They're in a box, and we are the man. And you have to follow our rules. And if you don't, then it's not really about recycling. Every day, for a decade at least that I know of, there was a barge that left Los Angeles, the West Coast, L.A. Harbor, a barge, enormous barge. I want to say it was about a football field long. And there was literally like a barge freeway, and it would go across to China. And it was, L.A. City would pay for one barge full of trash per day to leave and go to China. And then because labor was so cheap, all of the trash there would go into this big city, and they would dump it, and people would sort the trash. They would take out pacemakers that has, you know, point zero whatever grams of, of platinum in it. They would take out and find uh, other metal objects and glass and cardboard and computers that were thrown away and take apart the metals, the precious. Because remember, the labor was so inexpensive that that mattered. Then what they would do is melt it down, create it and sell it back to us. So we paid them to take it. They paid very little to undo it. And then we paid to get it back to us because just because it's L.A., it doesn't mean that's the only trash. It's West Coast. It's it's uh, Northeast. It's Northwest. A lot of the trash goes out. Now, a couple of years ago, they put a halt to it. They said, oh, we're not taking your trash anymore. What do you think we are? 
Well, surprise. Quietly, they started doing it again, but don't tell anybody because they were trying to make Donald Trump look bad and put pressure on the West Coast to put pressure on Donald Trump. Simple. Try to buy something from a vending machine in California. There's a 33% tax. Can, did, maybe, maybe you didn't hear that. Yeah, 33%. Uh, try to uh, buy something in Connecticut, for example. And the taxes on everything but safety items. So whatever they call safety items, bike helmets, child seats, firearm safety uh, equipment, no tax. Everything else has an enormous tax in Connecticut. You have to ask yourself, look, in some states they give farmers exemption. In some states they punish the uh, farmers. Remember how I, how I said pay attention to what California does because those are the rules that are coming down from the federal government, which means you, in California you could have two different sets of rules. And in the rest of the country where you guys are common sense and Californians look at you and say, well, whoa, you guys are just so old fashioned. No, no, no. You're, you're like normal. Just so that, so that you know that you're the norm. Ready for this? It's a water runoff tax. Now, now, do you understand what that is? Water runoff tax. That means they do a satellite image of your home. They take a look at the roof, the patio, the driveway, the RV lot, anything that is not rock or dirt or grass. And then per square foot, you have to pay a fee. And remember, in, in Southern California, it rains, what, no kidding, maybe a, two weeks out of the year, week and a half, and they have a water runoff tax. These guys, in all their wisdom, took the natural rivers where water permeates into the ground, and they put cement on the bottom. Uh, cement on the bottom, which means any kind of, any time a storm comes, all of the water that runs off through all of Southern California goes out to the sea, the fresh water out to sea. It doesn't go in and back into the ground. Now, because this is step 27, you say that is not common sense, doesn't make sense. But how did they start this? Well, very simple. Who likes smoking? Nobody. Let's tax them. Yay, go get them. Oh, let's start a lotto. It's for the children. We want a lotto because it's for the children. And when they did that, it was exciting. They said it was for schools because our schools were failing. It was the 80s. Let's get a lotto. Okay. Everybody jumped in. They said, we want a lotto. So the lottery comes along. And let's say it made a million dollars. Comes into the schools. Guess what the state did with the budget for schools? They lowered it by, guess what? A million dollars. So it was a net even. And now I use that as an example, but it's actually tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year that, quote, go into schools. But then the state reduces it and takes that money and spends it on its pet projects. Start paying attention because I'll bet a national lottery is coming. The national lotto, because it's another way to tax people. So I want you to do this because if you're trying by thinking about this, because as you're trying to build a financial plan and you're thinking about this, how are you going to deal with this when your parents came from a normal time, right? They're in their seventies or eighties. They came from a time when, when it was common sense was kind of the way it worked, right? Remember you climbed in the back window of your car. You never wore a seatbelt. You couldn't find the seatbelts. They were stuffed in between the seats, right? And, and people weren't, I mean, of course, if you got in an accident, you got hurt and Common sense said, wear a seatbelt if you want, don't if you don't. And now they regulate everything about your life up to having a national vaccine ID card. You see what's going to happen? Well, it means you can't travel from state to state. 
show your papers. Remember that? So your parents are going to build a, an estate plan. And in doing so, this estate plan has to account for weird changes that are coming down the road, especially when Kamala Harris takes over. We know she's going to. Now, remember this. If it's two years and a day that she takes over, then she gets to run two more terms. So she potentially could be president for 10 years. Uh, Can you say damage the country, change the United States as we know it? The federal government takes over the states. Thank goodness for the judges in place. I don't know if they will really stop anything. The the progressives really haven't listened to them in the past. So so maybe they will this time. It's only when they vote, vote in their favor. What are some of the things that I want you to look at? Well, you need to have that conversation with your parents. Because if they're going to pass on an estate plan to you that includes the house or land or property or rental property or apartment buildings or anything to do with land, they are going to have to have a a, a revocable living trust. There's no reason to put your family through this process of trying to guess what you want. There's no reason to put your family through this process of hundreds, in some cases, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in probate fees. $2 million estate, and that's the value, not what you owe on it. So you can own a home that is worth a million dollars, but you owe 50000 or it's paid off. You have to pay estate tax on a million dollars. You can have a home that's a million dollars and owe $990,000. Guess what you pay estate tax on? $1 million. So that means if you are going to have that house transferred to the kids and you did not put it in a living trust, the potential of forty, fifty, even dollars even $100,000 in cost. But wait, Eric, there's only $10,000 in equity. Tough. There's no, right? There's no crying in baseball. There's also no feelings in the courts, in the law. The law doesn't have a feeling. So we have to make sure that you pass this on properly. You need to do it through either a simple will, if it's not real estate related, right? Because at least it it allows people to know what you want. Now, I think you should have a will that's a part of your living trust. Because a living trust, a revocable living trust includes many documents, It includes a will, which is where your property is distributed, who gets it, when, in what order, in what fashion, especially if you have many children where one of the spouses is a, I don't know, maybe a near-do-well, they're trying, they're doing their best, or maybe they're not, or maybe they've always got a scheme, and so you're thinking, I got to protect my daughter, and I know that if I pass away and I give everything, her share to her, He's going to take it and blow it on the next greatest thing that he's calls a, you know, a, an investment option and it's a scam, right? Or maybe you have a daughter who's in and out of trouble with drugs or alcohol and she just isn't getting, you know, maybe she's going to be fine. Maybe she just turned the corner, but we don't know if this is permanent or temporary. Well, you might put in your will, in your trust, when she receives it, how? Maybe you're just going to pay for her food, shelter, clothing. You're going to write a check directly to the mortgage company or to the landlord. You're going to pay her electric bill directly. Well, you can do that when you outline it in a trust. Is it a lot more work? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Remember, you're going to be dead. 
So, so leave that job for somebody else. It's a way to protect what you've worked your whole life for. I remember speaking uh, initially, I don't know, probably 15 years ago on the radio. We started 17 years ago. I remember about 15 years ago, we had a client pass away. And the statistics were that the average inheritance, regardless of how much, 5,000, 500,000, it doesn't matter. The average inheritance was gone in eight months. Eight months. What you have spent your entire life working is gone in eight months. So... I don't know, 20 years ago, or uh, yeah, I don't know, 15, whatever it was years ago. When this, when our client passed away, they had three boys, one of the sons, a little bit of a problem child, in and out of drug rehab. Another son had a wife who spent money on everything under the sun. Very disrespectful. And the other son is a great young man, cares for his family, cares for his wife, no problem. So when she handed out the money equally, of course, one did great things with it. The other one, the wife remodeled the house once, not once, but twice. And then the third one, who was never married, who was a drug addict, spent $900,000. Yeah, $900,000 in 11 months. And if you drive by certain parts of the city, you'll still see him homeless walking down the street, doing odd jobs, working every once in a while, just not getting his, his life on straight, you know? And when you think about this, you ask yourself, what's the difference? What if that $900,000 was to pay for just a, you know, a, a hotel or a, a, an apartment, maybe not in a great part of town, but at least he's out of the cold and the heat. He's out of the rain. Maybe you say it's not my problem anymore. I gave it to him, and and if he's going to blow it, that's his problem. But you've worked hard for it. So think twice about it. So what about a financial power of attorney? We've talked about this before. It allows a parent to appoint someone they trust, called an agent in many states, to make financial decisions on their behalf in the case that they're not able to do so. So this agent regardless of where you end up retiring or where you live or where your, your quote, residence is, because sometimes you might have a summer home and a winter home, you just don't know where you're going to be when you die, right? You, you don't know. My uncle was vacationing in, in his summer home in uh, Nevada, and he lived in Michigan, and he passed away in Nevada. So it, you just don't know. So depending on the type of power of attorney, the agent could, for instance... Do things like file taxes, pay for, pay bills on the grantor's behalf. So you are granting the funds, but if you're not reachable, either because you're out of the country, because you're in a coma, because you had a stroke, that financial power, that attorney uh, privilege, if you will, allows them to continue to act as if. Now, naming their agent, the parents have to do a couple of things. They better make sure that this is an honest person. They need to make sure this person is going to do the right things with their wealth, their money, their savings, because they can buy things. They can sell things. They can sell off property. They can sell off assets. My dad had a friend who left the power of attorney to his son, and he went to another country, and he was working there. And when he returned, the son had sold off all of the real estate assets, Everything, the family home that they had forever. 
And nobody knows to this day what he did with the money. And now the father who had a home that was paid off free and clear, beautiful house on the hillside is gone. And he now lives in an apartment. So you need to be careful. Okay, that's that's a, uh, what about the, the health care power of attorney? You guys, oh, well, you know, it used to be called a health care directive. Now it's health care power of attorney or advanced directives. You're going to hear it called different things. Very similar. Who is going to give those health decisions if you can't? Pull the plug. Take you off a respirator. Give you this medication. Give you a blood transfusion. You're going to have wishes that, that might be different than some of your kids. Right? Maybe one of the children are going to say, I'm not going to... Uh, make that decision. I'm, I'm not going to be the one to say, yes, pull the plug or don't. And another child says, I'm willing to take that heavy burden, that responsibility. It depends on where you live. This document is tied with another document called a living will or a power, uh, advanced directive. So living will, advanced directive, healthcare power of attorney. They're all generally the same in the sense that it passes the decision-making process. If you cannot, regarding your health to somebody else. Life-sustaining treatments. We have seen times where people have come out of comas after years. So I, I don't know the answer. Is it five years? Is it six years? Is it when the brain activity ceases or is it when the heart stops? Boy, that's way above my pay grade. I think you need to seek counsel from solid people of your faith when this occurs and ask what is, right? What, what is the answer? Where are we going to be when I have to make that decision? You know, what would God prefer? I don't know. These are tough questions, especially if you're terminally ill or you're in a permanent vegetative state. I think you need to have a healthcare director directive whether you're 18 years old or 118 years old, here's why. Because if you are under the age of 18, 17 and you know, 11 months and 29 days, if you're under that, no problem. Your parents make those decisions for you. If you're past the age, then who gets to make the decision? Now, often it's your wife or your husband, but maybe not. Maybe you don't want them. Maybe they're going to be so distraught. Maybe they can't think straight. Maybe you're in the car accident together. So you need to have a plan B. Okay, pretty important. There's no reason to put your family through this process of trying to guess what you want, what the option is, the fights. Right? This is an act of true love. You don't want to create, by your passing, your grandchildren never talking to the other side of the family. You don't. You don't want to be that person who's responsible to say, hey, the reason that I'm still here on this earth uh, is to hate the other family members because they were mean and what they said about grandma or back to the will that handles the property. Well, I was supposed to get that vase or that dining room table or that antique or those set of earrings, right? Those things, you decide. And if you're blessed to have your faculties later in life and to have a family meeting with just the siblings, not their parent, not their spouses, just your children. We had to have one of those recently. We said, okay, here are the rules. Who gets to make the decisions for mom and dad? 
who gets to make these decisions, who makes these decisions. And it focused on our backgrounds. We're all strong in different areas, fortunately. So if you have a background that's that's stronger in the health-related field, then maybe you should be the final decision on that. If somebody else has the background in legal or financial, then that's the person that makes those decisions. Okay, so there's some things you can do in that formula where you sit down and you you kind of break down and, and decide who, who says what and when, who handles those decisions, but write them down. Have them notarized, have them put in a living trust. Last bit of advice for you here. In most cases, in most states, remember, it depends on where you end up, where you live, where you are when you pass away. A lot of these things, what your residence is. In that case, you've got to think of it in this way. Ready for this? A trust should be notarized. A will may not be notarized. Shall not be notarized. That's right. A will is not supposed to be notarized. In most cases, it's just, and better yet, in your handwriting and your signature and check to see if it should be witnessed or not. But generally speaking, it is your writing. That's it. In some states, it invalidates the entire will if it's notarized. Okay, so please make sure you're dealing with, in my opinion, the proper attorney who deals with this day in and day out. We deal with financial safety day in and day out. That's all I do. I'm not going to invest in pork bellies. I'm not the guy who's going to buy international real estate. That's not my thing. I'm protection of your principal. That's my specialty. It's what I'm great at. 888-99-RETIRE. Arif Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour. Look, maybe we can Zoom each other, right? Maybe that's the new thing. Maybe if you need a phone call, we're happy to meet with you if I can. 888-99-RETIRE. 888-997-3847. I'm Arif Hallaby on the Total Financial Hour. Thanks for being with me as we talk every week about your family's finances. Getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. You go on and have a great day. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arif makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial